Welcome to Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspiron Search. Today's guest, we have Brian Contos with two IPOs and eight acquisitions under his belt. Brian has helped build some of the most successful cybersecurity startups in the world. He has over 25 years experience in the industry. This episode's not one to be missed. How are hello, you, hello. It's great to be here. Man, every time I see you on LinkedIn, you're somewhere else in the world. So how's the how's the travel schedule been? It's it's been nuts. You know, uh, last year was a lot of international, so I was I was doing quite a bit in Eastern Europe, uh, Western Europe as well, but a lot in Eastern Europe and and Asia Pac. This year has been all over the United States. So a lot of those trips from San Francisco to Washington D.C. and Boston yeah. <laughs> have been happening. But you know, it's been great. We've been super busy. Yeah, nice. Was it B-Sides, Georgia that I saw recently? Was it? Yeah, I was in B-Sides Augusta, which is, it's really interesting. So first off, uh, it's kind of a a really small place and a very small airport to get to. So it's, but you get to this town and you get to this B-Sides and there's like a thousand plus attendees. It's one of the, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it's one of the best B-Sides in the U.S. every year. It's right up there with like New York and Seattle and some of the other, you know, really big, really great B-Sides events. Nice, nice. Good to know. I'll put a, a link in the show notes of how people can check that out. And look, Brian, so with all, all my guests, I like to give the audience a bit of an idea of who you are and how you got into the industry. So can you... uh? Give me a run through. I know you've got what two two IPOs, eight acquisitions under your belt. Yeah, or as my wife likes to measure them, I gain about five pounds per company. Uh, little does she know, it's closer to six and a half pounds. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been doing this way too long, man. It's been uh, over twenty five years. It's been fantastic. Uh, I love the space. Uh, I, I started with DISA uh, down in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. Uh, doing, uh, which is the Defense Information Systems Agency, uh, which is a a branch of the government. And I started my career there uh, while I was in college. And then when I graduated, I moved down to Brazil, to Sao Paulo, and uh, worked for Bell Labs. Completely went like, I want to do something completely different from government work. And I did that for a few years, made some really close friends, then came back to the U.S. and helped build my first startup, which was Riptech, which was MSSP. Uh, with Amit Iran, who's now the CEO of Tenable. He was also the CEO of NetWitness and a bunch of other great people. Uh, we sold that to Symantec, you know, and I was just a kid. We were sitting on spools of RJ45 cable back in that day. It was truly the uh, truly a startup. Uh, sold that. I, I kind of got the startup bug and then uh, just kept on building companies. So uh, I helped build another company called uh, ArcSight with Hugh and Jamanzi. I know somebody that uh, that you've met in the past. Uh, uh, took that public and then was acquired after it went public. Then did Imperva, which Slomo Kramer, which of course went public. Uh, McAfee Labs, uh, which we or McAfee, which we ended up selling to Intel. I wrote a couple books in between that time period. Uh, my last book was with the director of the NSA, Bill Kroll, deputy director. Um, then I did Solera. We sold that to Bluecoat, and then I kind of said, "Let's let's let's stop. I'll do some boards. I'll just kind of you know peel off for a little bit." Um, and then a few months later, a company called, came around called Veridin with some friends that I had met back in my ArcSight days. Uh, we built that up and we just sold that to Mandiant and then Google um, about a year, year and a half ago. We did that. And uh, now I'm with uh, Sebco, which is an asset intelligence company, uh, fantastic company, really focused on 
uh, helping organizations get uh, visibility into their devices, their applications, their users, um, the vulnerabilities across those devices in the cloud, on-prem, and it becomes a really foundational part of both security and IT as well as GRC. So really fun company. Nice. It's been a, a great uh, it's been a great uh, career. No regrets. Got to see the world a few times over. I think 55 countries now, uh, but no, it's been a blast. Wow. Uh, where do I start? Um, let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about building companies. So obviously worked at a few now. Let's talk about some, maybe some of the secret sources or what, what specifically stands out when, if I was to say, what, what do you think it takes to build a successful startup? Because a lot of the, the audience that will be founders that listen to this, what sort yeah. of secret source or ingredients do you think that folks need to think about? Yeah. You know, I wish there was an easy button and if there is, I haven't found it. It takes, it takes a lot of work and, mm. and that's, Look, that's that will be in the first chapter of any book you read about building startups. But really, that I, I I kind of boil it down to this: you have to embrace the suck, because there's times where it's just awful. You're sleeping at the office, you're you know you're traveling, you know six maybe even seven days uh, out of the week. Uh, you haven't seen your family, your friends. It's hard, um, but if you can get through it and you can figure out a way to balance it and drive through, it's so rewarding because. You know, nothing against people that want to work for a large monolithic company. You know, we all have to do our own things. But man, the amount of DNA that you can get on this company. So when you show up, you know, the company shows up in a, an article or, you know, a customer says, hey, this is great. And they they buy or they renew or a strategic partner decides they want to they work with you. It's just, it's so personal, right? And it will get you through those bad times if it's truly what you want to do. Or you might do it and say, you know, this is just not for me. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, I, I find, uh, very early on is having a really good core group of, of individuals in the team. And that might be leadership. It could be engineers. It could be any group in the company that really have a, a vision for what they want to do. And if you can say, if you believe in that vision, and then you start building brand around that, right? You start doing road shows, you start doing marketing, um, you get some early adopter customers and they give you some feedback on how to grow value. You get some early uh, partners that say, hey, this is, you know, if you do this, we can resell it. Or if you do this, we can, we can integrate this into our service. Um, if that vision's there and you believe in it and it's solid and the market's ready for it, everything just kind of falls into place. Is this becomes a question of execution, and that execution again is that whole embrace the suck part. You got to it's it's white knuckles kind of you know sleeping at the office grinding away type stuff. But eventually you get there, and man, that's just such a great feeling. Yeah. There's 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 nothing nothing else I've found in the world that's as fun as that point where you feel like yeah this this company is on the right track. We've made it. And it doesn't necessarily mean you've been acquired, you've gone public, but the, everything just is sort of working and flowing and man it's it's addictive it yeah really out of the the companies that you that you did work for obviously two ipo and eight acquisitions were any like notable that you you joined and it just sort of blew or was any that you sort of didn't almost join and then it you you did take the shot or the risk and then it just went yeah you know so so again early in my career so my first one was rip tech and then my my second one was ArcSight. ArcSight used to actually be called Wahoo Networks. It was in the back of what looked like a dentist office in Sunnyvale. Uh, and they, they quickly changed their name to ArcSight because Wahoo sounded a little too much like Yahoo. Uh, but Wahoo was a fish. Uh, the uh, the transition was this. I mean, when, when we built RipTech, we really were kids. And 
let's be honest, we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of building a business. We understood the tech and we understood what we wanted to do. We wanted to build this MSSP and it just, some of it was luck and it kind of worked out. And we just had some great people like Amit, Yaron and Grant Geyer and some other people and Tim Belcher that, that drove it. Um, when I, 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 I thought I was going to take like, you know, a year off and I decided I ended up taking like three weeks off. And I had a few companies that I thought were really interesting. And I, I do what people do. I build the spreadsheets and the pros and the cons and the things like that and, and why I should join them. And then there was this, this, there was this little company, you know, Wahoo, ArcSight. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, they're pretty much doing what we did as an MSSP, but in a box. Because this ArcSight was a SIM, but it predated the term SIM. Right. It, it wasn't even a thing back then. We called it enterprise security management. Gartner later on named it SIM years later. Um, and I'm like, man, it sounds really interesting, but I don't know if I like buy into it. Like they're really doing what they say. So I remember I sat down with Hugh and Jamanzi, who was one of the founders and he was this, the CTO over there. And we just went into this, this room for an interview. It was supposed to be an hour. Uh, literally, I think it was a six hour interview. Of and I won't even call it an interview. It was a discussion, a whiteboarding, sharing ideas. And by the time that was done, I was like, "Man, this is this is going to be awesome." They don't have any customers yet. They're, I don't even think we had any sales reps at that time. But I go, "This is what I want to sink my teeth into." And then you know, fast forward six and a half years, we we had a, a fantastic exit. Um, and that was that was one that I was in a balance of saying, "Well, they're so small." There's no customers. The risk is high. The reward is great, but the risk is high. You know, the earlier you join a company, generally the, the more reward there is, the higher the risk. Um, but it just worked out. But I remember I was sitting with my wife in the living room and we had one of those reticulating fans. And I said, I'm going to write the name of each company that I'm interested in on a piece of paper. And they're going to throw them all up by this fan. Whichever one lands closest to me, that's the one I'm going to pick. And I threw them all up and I forgot who landed close. I think it was Qualys at the time. And I'm going, no, don't want to do Qualys. Let's do this again. <laughs> so in my heart, I knew what I was going to do. I just had to let my brain kind of talk my myself into doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, amazing. And what about, um, you mentioned the suck and the, the harsh reality of a startup. You mentioned yeah. like, what what is like one of the biggest challenges that you found across all of the, is there any one particular challenge that come up on at every single one? Yeah, there are challenges that come across every single one. Um, one of the things I saw early on, and this is indicative of just the tech industry itself, and it's not only the tech industry, but it's indicative of tech and certainly startups, is you see a lot of uh, you see a lot of divorces, right? You see a lot of people go through a lot of emotional issues just because of, of the challenging work schedule. You know, some some folks will say, "Hey, I, I watched the show Silicon Valley." It looks like building a startup would be really fun. There's, you know, fireman poles and ball pits and things like that. And that, that's not what it's like. And if you want, you know, you want to know how much vacation you're going to get and are you going to get reimbursed for further education? And is there going to be this or that? There isn't. It's a grind. And some people embrace that and like it and some don't. And, and it can have a huge impact on family as well. Like I said, a lot of divorces in this space. I don't know what the statistics are, but I can tell you in the companies that I've done, unfortunately, I've, see, I've seen this happen a lot. A lot of people go through those issues, a lot of mental health issues as well, because it is a grind. Um, the, the other thing that tends to be pretty high is uh, there's a high level of travel associated with these types of jobs. And that can be hard on people physically as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, I've, I've gained about six and a half pounds. Per <laughs> and, uh, it's uh, I don't want to just blame it all on United Airlines, but I'm sure it, does, it doesn't help when you're sitting on 16 hour flights all the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you, you see that you see that. And then there's, 
you know, you, you've got to, you've got to make friends with the analysts and you've got to make friends with the press and you've got to, you've got to do these events and that this event, and you've got to pay exorbitant fees to, you know, uh, you know, be at this event. That's going to have all these CISOs that you want to get involved in. So there's a bit of a gamification of it. And if you do these things, you know, there's a reward and you kind of, you know, know that these are some of the steps you have to take. And some of those things are more fun than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, there's more good than bad. And, you know, you can't have a front without a back. You can't have good without bad, black without white. There's just, there's always two sides of things. Uh, there's just a balance to it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's more good. And it's just really rewarding. You make lifetime friends. Of all those companies I built, like you mentioned at the beginning, two IPOs, um, eight acquisitions, I would say 85% of them, I've done it with the people that I've been doing it since the very first day. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you build this, a wrecking crew of people. Um, and sometimes they're investors, uh, sometimes they're uh, they're board members, sometimes they're engineers, salespeople, BD, all across the board. And you kind of, and the group grows and shrinks and grows and changes and morphs through the years, but you kind of have this core group of people that you trust and you, you've been through the trenches with them. And uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to deal yeah. with people, you know. On that people front. Yeah. Obviously, look, talent is at the, the heart of every successful startup and business success in general. As you progress through the ranks, obviously, I know you have a tight circle around you. But when you were sort of interviewing and looking for candidates, what were sort of characteristics, attributes, functional expertise were, were you sort of looking for when you were specifically hiring yourself? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is very little attention was paid to what college did somebody go to? or even what degree they had. Uh, I, I think that's kind of interesting in security. You, find, you do certainly find people with CS degrees, and uh, that's, that's common, um, especially amongst developers, uh, but not always. And you see a lot of people with degrees, backgrounds in philosophy or biology or you know, so, some other, something you know, English, uh, which is really interesting because it brings in all these different perspectives and it's particularly valuable um, in sort of the threat intelligence space, people that actually do threat intelligence analysis. It's great to have different backgrounds, linguists and, and things like that. So I don't put a lot of stock into sort of, you know, where you went to school or if even if you went to school or what you studied. Um, it's really, uh, do you have the drive? Do you have the hunger to do it? Because you might be great at a Cisco or a Microsoft or an HP, nothing against those companies, um, but you might not be a fit for a startup. And I've seen a lot of square pegs put into a round hole where people try to make it work because they think it's what they want to do. And if you don't have that fire, it's not a question of age. There's, there's young people that have that fire and there's people that are much older that have their fire. There's men that have it. There's women that have it. There's no, there's no Mm. sort of demarcation point there. But if you have that hunger, that's what I look for. You have to be smart. You have to be driven and you, and you know, this is very cliche, but you have to be a team player because there's, there's no way to build a successful startup by yourself. You can't just have one person. You have to do it as a team because when one person doesn't do their job in a startup, the entire company feels it because you're not running with extra fat. You're, you're very lean. And if this person doesn't do their job, it has a domino effect on everybody else. And you have to have people that understand that, that what they're doing is really important. Where in a larger company, there might be five or six or a hundred other people that might pick up some of that slack you don't have that at a startup, at least not at a successful startup. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of noise about the cybersecurity skills gap, particularly for like a CISO. What what can a CISO do to sort of bridge that skills gap if they've got sort of 
a few resources or no resources at all yeah what have you got any ideas about what they can do yeah i think one thing is like i said cast a wider net don't go in there thinking i need somebody with you know a decade of experience in python or something like that or i need they have to be you know all these different certifications those things are great and they're nice to have but a lot of what you do in security is kind of on the job training and uh, learning from mistakes and, and sort of pulling people in. So I'd say op open yourself up to finding some people that are more junior, helping to bring them up to speed. Um, you know, not in a startup environment, but with a larger company, you can go ahead and have them, you know, get some other certs, you know, get some vendor certifications or get their CISSP or whatever the certification, you know, of, of, of the month happens to be. Um, and that's fantastic. But it's that on the job training. And the other thing is, really focus on cross-training. Um, you know, since the early days, the people that were good enough to really look at a whole bunch of log files and events and determine this is a real attack or a false positive, you can't pay them enough money to sit there and look at a screen all day at logs and events to find out what's a real attack and what's a false positive. It's, yeah. uh, it's not very interesting. But if you keep those people rotating and doing different things, they learn a little bit about endpoint, a little bit about network, system administration, um, network security, identity, data security, and they, they get exposed. It really makes them better, and then they're more effective at their job. So look at, look at people that are more junior. Don't necessarily feel like you have to bring somebody on that has a computer science background, you know, open yourself up there, be open to getting them some various types of training, like SANS and things of that nature, and uh, let them cross train for that on the job stuff. And if you have a, a, you know, a smart driven individual, it doesn't matter what their background is, they, they will, they will probably succeed in that role, or they won't. And then if they do fail fast, cycle it through and bring somebody else on board. But I've found that generally speaking, that if you get those smart, motivated people, it doesn't matter where you put them, they're, they're going to pretty much be successful. With people obviously comes culture. How did the businesses that you worked for in the past, how were they really driving great cultures? Because I imagine they must have had them to go through such success. Yeah, uh, prob probably the best analogy, I think, is you're a band of pirates. And it's it's kind <laughs> of like, your company against the world, um, especially when you're like a 20 person startup and you're going against these 20,000 people behemoths, right? And uh, you're, you're, you're fighting and you're scrapping for every single win, whether that win is a security award or a customer or a partnership or whatever it is, everything is a fight. And uh, that, that culture of sort of being, you know, a band of brothers or a group of pirates, whatever analogy you like to use, it's, it's true. And uh, you, you do. And that's, again, why so many people that build startups, when they do another one, they want to bring in their their close circle that they've been through those battles with before. So it, it's it's that mentality. It's that culture. And it's also, and I should mention, it's a fun culture. It's definitely startups, generally speaking, are a work very hard and play very hard culture. And sometimes they play too hard. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's certainly been times where uh, we, we've certainly overdone it. And uh, especially in the early days, maybe yeah. not quite as much anymore, but it's, it's just because these people become your friends, your really close friends are just not coworkers. And the bond that you create is so much longer lasting and so much tighter, I think, and just my opinion, than what it would be if you worked for a large, a large company. So culture is extremely important. And a big part of that is you don't want to hire jerks. You know, this person could be the very, very best in their field. Yeah, but if they're if they don't click with you from a cultural perspective, it's it's going to be a negative. So don't bring them on. 
It's just not going to fit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you try to force it and you learn and it's a mistake. And hopefully you learn from those mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. So again, fail fast, but you have to get people that can work together well. And you know, they're going to have each other's back. Um, because if someone's doing, you know, 20 hours a day trying to make something, so you have a successful POC and they're grinding away. If you don't have that, that friendship, if you don't have that tight relationship, it's just business, Yeah. then it's not going to work. It's not going to be successful because that's not what it takes. Yeah. When did you um, begin investing in, in companies yourself? I'd say about five years ago, maybe, maybe six. And it got to the point where I was like, I, I love building companies. So it's, it's definitely my number one thing I like to do. Um, being on boards is fantastic as well. You don't get as op- nearly as operationally deep in what you do, but you can sort of provide guidance and strategy. And that's fun too. Um, and investing is kind of like a little bit of both uh, because while you're not as hands-on, um, your money's in it and you're very, you know, you're, you're very interested in <laughs> yeah. the, the success of it. And uh, you want to, you want to see it go forward. And so you're, you're working almost as hard for those companies as you would for an operational company in terms of supporting them and directing them and connecting them with other individuals. So that's a lot of fun too. Doesn't, doesn't be sort of, you know, being in the company and doing that thing, but it's uh it is fun. And I, I really do enjoy it. And there's so many talented uh, individuals and companies out there you can't work with them all so if you can invest in some of them and get involved that way that's a lot of fun what about um your investment thesis so what, what were you looking for when you made your investments in in what what were some of the companies can you plug them yeah yeah so uh, I'll, I'll talk about one so phosphorus which is a it's an iot security company xiot so their focus is on uh, discovering and securing things like, uh, you know, printers, security cameras, voice over IP phones, all the little computers that aren't traditional computers, you know, organizations could have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these things. So it's a big, it's a big security thing. Um, first thing I look at is the leadership. You know, do, do they have the leadership team in place or are there plans to put those key people in place to make this effective? Because without that, uh, things can't really get momentum or at least at the speed that you desire. Things just take a lot longer. So leadership teams, number one. Uh, The second thing is market timing. You could have the greatest product or the greatest service in the world, but if you're 10 years too early, you're 10 years too early and it's going to be hard and it's really, really hard. And, you know, people will say, I'm not making any money. I'm going to quit. So you get a lot of turnover. Um, So you want to find something that's not too, too early. Um, and then, of course, the last piece, and, and arguably, uh, you know, the most important piece people would default to is, is the product and service, is it is it good stuff? Is it real? Is it just an idea? Is it is it you know slideware? You know, where where does it fall in that equation? So if you've got something good, and and I would also say on the product service side, I'm certainly not a fan of the Me Too companies. Like, we've got a firewall, but our firewall goes this much faster, or we've got an IPS and we have this many more signatures. And it's, it's sort of like, we're just a new version, but we're not start. We're not different. Right. And there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's not really different. It's just the same old thing being rehashed. Uh, So phosphorus is a great example. There aren't a hundred XIOT security companies out there. There's only a few. Uh, the timing was right, things of that nature. So by pulling all those characteristics together, you know, there's not some really complicated calculus to do this. <laughs> and at the last bit of it, it's kind of like when I was talking about joining ArcSight, you just, you kind of go with your gut, like, yeah, does this, does this feel right? Does this feel right? You know, you can talk to early customers and other people, and you can try to get all these data points, but if it doesn't feel right to you, then you should probably move on. 
because yeah. uh, you'll you'll grind away and then you'll just find out nah, this wasn't this wasn't worth it. Yeah, I think the final thing we should cover are your books. What can you plug those? What were the books and what did you write them sure. about? Sure. Yeah, my first book uh, was on insider threats. It's called Enemy at the Water Cooler. Uh, so that was really about um, you know all all these different cases of either individuals that were planted within organizations, um, so you know spies, industrial espionage in a lot of cases, or um, employees that decide that they wanted to go to a competitor and they were you know taking you know siphoning off information before yeah. they left. And these types of things happen um, all over the all over all across many industries, but certainly in tech. Um, and the other one was called, uh, and this was a, a mouthful. Uh, physical and logical security convergence, uh, and that was that one I co-authored with Bill Kroll, and Bill Kroll was with the NSA for about 35 years, and he was actually the deputy director there. Brilliant guy, great mentor. Uh, the book is very thick. Uh, it's known for being able to stop a, a low-caliber bullet. Um, I think a 22, you're safe. 45, you know, 308, maybe, maybe not, but, uh, it's a, it's a very verbose book. Uh, but, and it was the first book that I ever wrote that was translated into, uh, Turkish, which I, I thought was, uh, was, wow. interesting. oh, I didn't, uh, who, who knew? Cause the, the books kind of, they develop this, this flow and they do better in certain regions and yeah, worse yeah. than others. And then you, you get, get notified by the publisher. Yeah. We're, we're now we're doing it in Farsi or now. Wow. Right, that's cool. <laughs> so you find out these things. Uh, yeah. And you, you know, Barnes and Noble, wherever you, you yeah. write books, you pick those up. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What's the, uh, what's the future, Brian? You know, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying what we're doing here at Sevco. Um, I always enjoy being part of a company that's different. You know, Riptech was different. ArcSight and Pervusler. I've, I've been fortunate that I haven't been part of a, any company that I would consider boring. I wouldn't join it if it was boring. So really got to bring this up and, and kind of build this. I'll continue to do boards, continue working closely with Phosphorus and others and investing. And, uh, you know, when COVID hit, I was like, okay, this is, this is what retirement feels like. I think I, I don't think I'm ready for this. I started taking like watch classes, like how to build watches. And, and, uh, I found I'm not very good at that. Not at all. And there's a lot of gears and, and pieces of watches sitting on the carpet around me right, right now that I'll, I'll never find. I'll, they're there forever. Um, and I don't know. I think I'll, I'll just continue doing this as long as I can add value because it's a blast. And I don't think I've got the skills to do anything else besides build security companies at this point in my career. <laughs> Love that. Brian, I wish you all the best of success with Sebco and uh, I'll see you soon. Hey, thanks so much. It's great being here. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspiron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website, www.aspironsearch.com.